Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. But we are beginning a new series, and it's called uh, the same title that we've used a couple times before, because it's part of our vision statement here, and it's called, Till the Neighborhood Knows. And that's sort of like a little catchphrase, a hashtag that we use uh, at Movement Church here a lot on social media, and we just use that phrase from time to time, Till the Neighborhood Knows. But I wanted to, before we spend time talking about that, I want to just share some things. Sometimes, um, I tell people. I, one day I may write a book about church planning. Alright, and I have the title of the book. I don't really have the content, but I have the title. And here's the title, okay? If you have sensitive ears, just go ahead and buckle up. Alright, the title is this. Church planning sucks and other reasons you should do it. <laughs> I, I say I'm honest. I'm real. If you can't handle that, sorry. But it is a huge blessing and it is one of the most difficult things I've been a part of. I mean, I've been in established churches, and those are tough, and they have challenges, and it is hard and difficult at times, and it's also a blessing, but church planning is a whole other thing. But I tell you, sometimes God really gives me the right encouragement at just the right time. And just over the past few weeks, here's a few things that I've heard people say. The beauty of them is I didn't hear them firsthand, because sometimes people tell, you know, the preacher something, and they think, oh, you know, maybe this will... Make him happy or whatever. But I heard this. They told somebody else and it got related to me. One person who attends movement said she had never seen a church care for their people like movement does. And I was like, okay, thank you, Lord. I needed that. You know, that's, that's what our heart is and that's what our desire is. But sometimes you wonder if other people feel that. You know, you, you feel like you see it, but you hear somebody else say it is a, is a really cool thing. Another person said... Movement teaches the truth so well, but practices grace and love. And that's not as common as you think. And man, that was like, yeah, I was excited about that. I mean, that's, that's always been our goal, to have the right balance of grace and truth and love. Sometimes people go to one extreme or the other, and they, they forget or cancel out the other. But we want to try to be in balance as much as we can. Another person, when they were traveling, said, I need my people. These are my safe, this is my safe space. There's been more that I've heard, but I say that because I want us to talk about the vision for Movement Church. It's easy to get lost in the weeds sometimes. And, you know, when things have been so crazy and up and down and uncertain, you know, we were outdoors for a while. We didn't know where we were going to be. Then we were blessed with this amazing place at First of Maine. And here we are coming to the last Sunday at First of Maine, going back to Hodge Road. Didn't think that was going to happen. You know, we thought, hey, we were going to be buying this building. Did not happen, but we trusted God in it. And so we, we're cool with that. But it's sometimes we need to remember what is the purpose for our existence. Yeah, we know it's Jesus, but how do we live out our walk with Jesus? And so I want to share with you our, our vision statement. Hopefully you've heard it. Hopefully you've seen it. But here's what it is. Our vision is to keep moving until our neighborhood knows Jesus. By making disciples and multiplying churches. One of our parts of our mission statement or our whole mission statement is love, serve, and move. Right? We talk about movement because, and that's how, I did not want to name the church movement. 
I, I did not. We had called our little group of organization, Nightdale Movement, when we were getting ready to plant this church. And so we were like, no, we're not going to call it movement. But then God was like, yeah, it needs to be movement. Because one of the things he kept teaching me over and over is that there is no standing still when it comes to following Jesus. You've got to take that next step of faith, even though you may not know what it is. And when we stand still, so to speak, spiritually, we're always kind of moving backwards. We're always kind of dying. So we want to be a church full of people that move forward and, and follow Jesus wherever he leads. And so that's why we say we keep moving. How long? Until the neighborhood knows. It's not until we get a building and all. Ooh, we can relax now and just everybody come to us. That's, we're never going to have that attitude, even when we have our own building. That's not going to be our attitude because that's not what Christ has called us to do. Because, and this is our, our, our paraphrase of what the scripture teaches, but it's to keep moving until the neighborhood knows Jesus by making disciples and multiplying churches. We don't want to just make church members. We want to make disciples who go and do what? Make disciples. And we want to multiply churches. And what that means is we want to be a part of planting churches, not just ours right here, but all around the nation, all around the world, all around the state, whatever we can do. And that's based on some verses of Scripture we're going to spend a little bit of time in this morning uh, and over the next few weeks. Acts 1-8, Matthew 22, and Luke chapter 10. Because we want to keep moving until the neighborhood knows Jesus. But the question is, where's our neighborhood? That's the real question. Because that can be a very limiting thing or it can be a very freeing thing. And I believe it's a very freeing thing. We're called to carry the gospel to our neighborhood. And guess what? In case you haven't heard, I bet you got a good guess. Our neighborhood is what? The entire world. The entire world is our neighborhood. So does that mean that we're going to reach a point at any time and place very soon where we can just kick back and chill? No, because more people need to know Jesus. Jesus' last words before leaving earth were, you know, to go and spread the gospel to the entire world, baptizing people, making disciples, and that's what we're called to do. And you may say, man, that's all, that's like pie in the sky, that's just all, you know, best wishes, but that's what Jesus said, though. I don't have the opportunity or the privilege or the right to say that's not what he meant. Because that's what he said. And he said it over and over again. He wants us to share the gospel. And we can learn an example of how to do that. Because it's big, y'all. It's big to think about carrying the gospel to the entire world. But we can learn an example from the early church. And we find that example recorded in the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 1. If you've got a Bible to follow along on your app, you can also look here on the screen. It says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. As the church is getting ready to kick off, it hasn't even begun yet at this point. But Jesus says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples to share the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the end of earth, ends of the earth. And so what we do, we start here. We start at home. When he told his disciples... That they were to start in Jerusalem. That was home for them. That was where they were meeting. That's where they were gathered. That was sort of the center of the church at that time. Which was about to be made up of pretty much entirely Jewish people. That was their home base. So what does that tell us? That we need to live out the truth of the gospel right here, right now, where we are. We need to live out the gospel with each other. 
I've heard it said, and I really don't believe that it's true here, but I've seen it too many times to just discount it. I've heard it said that the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. You know? And, and I've seen that. When people get hurt, oftentimes people just want to boot them out the door and say, you just need to get your stuff together. And yes, there's a time for church discipline. I'm not going to discount scripture that, that talks about that kind of thing. But when people are hurt, when people are wounded, when people are struggling and hurting, don't just push them away. Don't just write them off. Love on them. And even better, don't wait until their life is in a shambles. Build relationships so you can help them when they're doing well. Help them when they're starting to struggle. Help them when they're starting to feel weak. Build those relationships so we can help right here. And here's why. Because I don't want you to think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Because if you're ever around me very much, you know that I talk about that really the church does not exist to make us feel better. The church exists to accomplish the mission of Jesus. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus and we're supposed to go out and share that with other people. But when we do that, that's when we're the most effective, not only at doing that mission, but loving each other well. You understand why that's true? Because if you're not accomplishing the mission God created you for, all you're going to do is look within and find fault. You're going to find fault with yourself. You're going to find fault with your brothers and your sisters. And you're going to just say, I don't have anything else to do, so I'm just going to pick out flaws and pick out issues and problems. And that's why churches can implode and forget their mission. We don't want to be that kind of church because that's not the church that Jesus bled and died for. So he goes on and he tells them to share that gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So you start with your church family. You start though, with your friends and your neighbors that need Jesus. You start reaching out with the people that you have contact with every day. That's your home. Maybe the people that even live under your roof. Because more than ever, guys, I think you realize this. People are hurting. People are broken. And they're searching for answers. There are people who have been following Jesus for years that over the course of this pandemic have totally distanced themselves. And they're taking all these puzzle pieces and they're trying to put them in the hole that they've taken the church out of and, and they're taking Jesus out of and they're trying to make these puzzle pieces fit and nothing's working. And they're like, why won't it work? Why won't it work? And they're afraid to come back to church because they feel like they're going to be judged. They feel like nobody's going to care about it. Or they're going to say, where were you? You know, you don't, you don't belong here. But that's the farthest thing from the truth. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And so we need to love one another and we need to reach out to people who are hurting and who are broken. People who have been coming to church and people who have never come to church. Because more than ever, it's evident that people are walking around with a God-shaped hole in their heart. And they need the truth of the gospel. They're looking for answers. But y'all remember in elementary school? When the teacher started asking people, kind of like a pop quiz almost out loud, started asking questions and just calling random people. What, were you that kind of person that's like, oh, I dropped my pencil and stayed out for about four and a half minutes. There's down there somewhere. <laughs> that's the way that we can be sometimes when people are broken and hurting. We're like, I don't know if I know the answers. And so I kind of hide my face. 
When I'm out about in life and I don't want anybody to know that I, I know Jesus or I don't want anybody to know that I'm really sold out for the gospel. And so we've got to be the people who stand up because we know the answer. The answer is not anything that we can do. The answer is Jesus. We live for Him and we share Him. And that's the best thing we can do is lead people to Jesus. And, and I've talked about recently about, you know, the whole Sunday school answer, when in doubt, just answer Jesus, right? That is the answer. He is the answer. And yes, it's a lot more complicated than that at times, but go back to Jesus. The second thing we do to be like this early church and help spread the gospel, as Jesus told them to do, is move around the corner. Start at home and then move around the corner. We branch out just a little bit more. He said in Jerusalem, at home, and then Judea, that's in their area, right around the corner. The greatest opportunity to spread the gospel is where you spend your time. You know that? When we, I, I'm very guilty of this. Lord, Lord, give me an opportunity to spread the gospel. And I think sometimes God might be wanting to sit there and go, thump, and thump me on the head and say, open your eyes, dummy. You got opportunities everywhere. And, and I'm so guilty of that. Oh, Lord, please send me somebody. And how many people do I walk by? And maybe just a simple act of kindness might be the small key that unlocks the door. It might not happen that day, but it can happen over time. We've gotten so ingrained in being entrenched in our daily routines that we never look up and see that people are all around us in our Judea, right around the corner. Have you ever noticed that, um, you know, when you have somebody coming over to your house, that that's when you start to realize that your house is a wreck? Can y'all relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're walking around in your daily habits, you probably don't realize it, unless you're really bothered by junk. And we've got 37 people in our house, and it's always cluttered. And so, but when you're walking around, you don't even think about it, but when you know somebody's coming, you're like, oh, wow, this place looks horrible. And, and the same thing is true of, of churches. Like, when you've been going to a church for a long time, you don't realize that there's no signs that tell you, oh, go here for this or go there for that. And, you know, you don't know what the routine is for communion. And by the way, we're taking communion at the end today. In case you're wondering if you missed it, it came in a little bit late or something. We're taking it at the end. But, you know, you start to become blind because it's your habit, right? You've been there. You've done that. You know that. But then when somebody new comes in, they start to see. Well, I believe that we can be very habit blind to the people that are around us who need Jesus. We just get so caught up in our routines that we never look around and see the people. And I believe very much so that we cannot overlook the mess and see people that need our help, people that are around us. So our, our goal, our, our, our desire is to open up our eyes and look around and see the people that are in need. And we've tried to plant churches and been a part of planting churches in our Judea already. We're only three and a half years old, almost four years old. And we have been helping plant churches before day one through Waypoint Church Partners and uh, church planners at BNC used to be called the uh, Christian Men's Fellowship. And we are giving to several regularly, including a church like Canvas Church in Goldsboro. And we're excited about them. September 4th, we are going to send a team, and that means you. That means all of you. We are going to send the team down to work in Goldsboro that Saturday before Labor Day to encourage them. They're going to launch that following weekend. And if we say we love people, if we say we want to spread the gospel, this is what we need to do. We need to do all we can to send a bunch of people down there and work 
and serve and help them get ready and help them feel encouraged and help them know what's going on. But our vision is to plant more churches, not just the ones that we've had a hand in so far, not just through the different organizations. We want to plant churches from our church family. We believe, and it's, it's been our vision before we ever started, that there's a lot of people that want to plant churches in a city like Raleigh, but not as many. There's still some, but not as many want to plant churches in the growing towns like Nightdale and Lindell and Zebulon and Garner and different ones. And so we want to do all we can to help more churches come in. And you may be sitting there thinking, you may be saying, man, there's plenty of churches. There might be plenty of churches. But there's an opportunity like we've never experienced. Do you know how many people move into Wake County every day? In 2019, it said that 62 people a day moved to Wake County. What do you want to bet that number has jumped up, especially this past year? Absolutely. 62 people a day move into the county. I don't know if you know this, but Wake County, our county is the largest county in the state. And if you know anything about North Carolina, you probably got a little red flag off that. Oh, Charlotte's the biggest city. Yes, yeah, Charlotte's still the biggest city. But the surrounding area around Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, is smaller than Wake County. There are people that need to know Jesus. And statistics have shown that more people come to Jesus through new churches than churches that have been around forever. So we want to plant churches left and right. Honestly, when we were looking at purchasing the building in Zebulon, that's why it wasn't completely crazy to think about saying, okay, we've been in Nightdale, but we may, God may be calling us to Zebulon because it's always been a part of our DNA, a part of our vision to plant churches in these other towns. And, and so who knows? We trust God. We trust His timing. That's why, because we want to reach our Judea with the gospel. So you start at home, you move around the corner, and then here's the tough one. If you want to tune out, this might be your, your shot right here. <laughs> move past our comfort zones. Move past our comfort zones. When Jesus told the disciples, he said, Jerusalem, Judea. I, you know, I guarantee you when they were like, Jerusalem, he's like, they were like, yeah. They were all cheering, yeah. When he said Judea, they were like, yeah, yeah. And he said Samaria, they said, <laughs> say what? <laughs> You know, they were like, hold up, Samaria? Not those people. You know, his, his 12, the ones that may have been traveling with him, they had taken that trip down through Samaria during his ministry. You know, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, that, that lady. But, you know, and they heard some stories, but man, still, when they said it, they were like, Jerusalem, yeah, Judea, yeah, let's go. And it, you know, it's like getting the football team hyped up. Hey, 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 hey. You know, and then Samaria, because they did not view those people as even human. Because they were half Jewish and half Gentile. And they did not like them. And the Samaritans, of course, on the opposite side, did not like the Jews. And so this primarily group of people that was going to become the church was not excited about going to Samaria. But Jesus said it nonetheless. We wanted here at our church family to be a diverse church. And we are trying our best to be that. Why? Because that's what our community looks like. I've heard it said many years ago that the 11 o'clock hour was kind of traditional church time. Yeah, we're rebels. We're 10, 15. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> the 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour in our nation. That's wrong. Because our communities 
are integrated and people are living all amongst each other. And guess what? Heaven is going to be integrated. Heaven is not going to be segregated. Heaven is not going to be divided. And so that's why we want all people to feel welcome at our church. And it's our goal to do that. And I, I will say this. If somebody hears this, and I don't think this applies to anybody in here. But if somebody is bothered by heaven being made up of all types of people, I don't think you got to worry about it because you might not be there. <laughs> I said it. I'm sorry. Jesus still loves you. He still died for you. He can still fix you. Don't worry. But this little wake-up call. But if you're a part of our family, I don't think that's something that you have an issue with. But the question we've got to ask, though, is what is our Samaritan? Because let's not get high and mighty because we don't hate people or treat people poorly because of the color of their skin or the language they speak. Let's see, what is it that we do have? All of us, any of us can have that sort of we want to hold those people off at arm's length. What is our Samaria? Maybe you've been around the church for a while and you like the, the relaxation of not worrying about, you know, people are necessarily going to be screaming or yelling at you. And so when people start to be, you know, outside the church and they start to scream and yell at you, like, I just don't have any time for somebody like that. See, those people are screaming and yelling because they're broken. They're hateful because they're hurting. And so we're called to love our Samaria as well. And the early church struggled with it too. You go through the first seven chapters of Acts, and it's more than just like seven days or seven weeks. It was quite a bit of time, and the church was still sort of stuck in Jerusalem. Now they were growing. You know, the first Sunday, three thousand people were baptized. Very quickly, it became five thousand, and then who knows how exponentially it grew. But there they were, kind of stuck in Jerusalem, and they were not going, even though Jesus had said, "Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." And in Acts chapter seven. We see Stephen is stoned for preaching the gospel. And this church was growing without going. But here it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Saul approved of his execution. That is Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And so what happens is, is they were not going as Jesus told them to do. And so God said, all right, I'm going to turn up the heat a little bit. I'm going to boil the water and get you to jump out of where you are to go to where you need to be. And it says that they went to those next steps, right? Judea and Samaria. And so sometimes we may be praying for God to take away discomfort, but maybe God is allowing discomfort because we're not doing what he told us to do. And so maybe let's, let's do our best to be obedient to God, not wait for some horrible circumstances, not wait for persecution, but get to doing the mission that Jesus has called us to do. So keep going even when they don't. And here's what happens in the early church. When the persecution breaks out, they go down to Samaria. The very next thing in chapter 8 says that the gospel is preached. And possibly thousands of people are baptized into Jesus. And where? Samaria. The place that I guarantee you those early Jewish believers thought they didn't have to even talk to them. Because they are heathens. They're godless. They will not listen. But where was there a great revival? Right in Samaria when they heard the gospel. And you and I need to be aware of that. People that we think we write off, 
they need to hear the truth of the gospel too. That should be our goal and our purpose. And just like the early church though, we can come become comfortable with the screams of people going to hell. We tune it out. Yesterday when we were uh, working on the trailer, Sam and I kept talking over and over about these roosters that a neighbor of Steve's had. Man, roosters, they've got some clocks wrong. Uh, they need an iPhone that updates all the time. Because I mean, all day long. <laughs> you know, I mean, constant. And I was like, I want to go over there. You know, chicken for dinner. You know. But Steve was like, I don't even hear it. You know, this is why. Because he's used to it. He hears it all the time. How many times do I get used to something? I get used to people crying out, looking for hope that they have none. And I've got the answer to their question. Maybe you're the same way. You get used to people who are, in a sense, screaming out on their way to hell. They are lost and they may not even know it, but they know they're missing something. It's time for us to open our eyes, get out of our ruts, get out of our comfort zones. Many times when people look for a new church or look for a church for the first time, they look for a church to meet their needs. And I, I'll say this. If you go to a church and they're telling you that they're there simply to meet your needs, you need to get away quick. And that may seem weird for me to say that, but I believe it to be 100% true. Like I mentioned earlier, as you go about the mission of following Jesus and being a part of this church, your needs will get met. But I guarantee you, if you're going to a church looking to just have your needs get met, you will never be happy. Just like if you were out in the world trying to fulfill your needs and fill, fulfill your desires, the same thing happens in church. So if you go about and you jump in on the mission of Jesus, then your needs will become met. You will find family and belonging like you've never experienced. But if a church says, oh, we're here to meet your needs, you need to get away because that is not a church that's being the church that Jesus Christ has called them to be. That's not a church that's just a country club. It really is. Who just seeks to serve, to meet their members' needs. That's not what we're about as the church of Jesus. But here's the truth I want you to wrap your mind around. A grave is simply a rut with the ends closed in. A grave is simply a rut with the ends closed in. So if you find yourself in a rut, it's time to get out because very quickly that rut will turn into a grave. It's time for us to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. Get out of our ruts, our comfort zones. Find a way to interact with your Samaria. I can't tell you a lot of different ways because your, your ways of interacting with your Samaria are going to be different than mine. But I do want to tell you about one group of believers I've heard about many years ago down in Savannah, Georgia. They're a group of ladies that had a heart for reaching uh, women in the exotic dancing industry. They call themselves the Sunshine Girls. And so what they do every week, and they've grown into a large number of people, is they go to different uh, dancing clubs. I'll just say that for our audience here. They go to different dancing clubs, and they bring in hot meals, and they spend time with the girls. They'll get you know, manicures, and they'll do all different things. They'll just be people that will listen. And I'm here to tell you, that sounds uncomfortable for a lot of people at church. Like, a Christian goes into one of those places, now, before you guys get excited, they don't really have guys go into that. that 
Oh, y'all too good to laugh at that. Oh, okay. Um, some of y'all are thinking, don't, don't lie. But they go in and they do have guys that go along outside for protection because some of the places they go are not very safe places. But they go in and they love on those women. And we shared a video before here about a woman who, who gave her life to Jesus. Who thought she had no value and she had to sell her body. But then she realized that Jesus paid for her body with his body and his blood. And they have so many stories like that. And so, yes, that seems like a Samaritan, a Samaria, a Samaritan for, for Christian people. But they were called to go into those places and shine light. And so we keep moving last. We start at home. We go around the corner. We move past our comfort zones. But we keep moving to the ends of the earth. And one of the ways that we do that is missions. We talked a little bit about earlier. We give, we go, and we pray. That's what we do as a church family. We give, we go, and we pray. We do it here locally in our neighborhood with our church family, but we do it here at, at NC State University. We do it, you know, all across our states. We help plant churches. We do all sorts of stuff. We do it down in Mexico. We do it over in Ireland. And I just will put in a plug. There's four kids that we support in Inglis, New Mexico. Um, we've got those birthday cards out there for one more week. This is your last chance. If you can get to sign the card, make sure you just sign it for our kids in Mexico. But we're also going on a trip down to Ninos next summer. So go ahead and put it on your calendar. Sign up on the table over there. Uh, July 9th through the 16th, we're going to take a trip down there. It's an amazing, powerful trip where you work hard, but you also get to share the love of Jesus with some amazing children. They're going to teach you some stuff, too. We've got the Reeds at CCF. Uh, as he said, we've got the Swains who were just here a couple of weeks ago in Ireland. And they told us something earlier this year. They sent a video. And they shared something that says, stuck in my heart. They said that only three times in their ministry had a church increased support without being asked. And two of those three times were moving church. They said that's just unheard of. That they didn't have to come and beg and grovel and say, can you help? Our church decided to be generous and we increased because we knew they had a greater need. Because see, our vision has never been to just give a little something to a bunch of different missionaries. And that's okay if a church does that. There are a lot of churches that do that. But we wanted to build a relationship with people. And we wanted to lighten their burden, lighten their worries, lighten their cares. And, and we wanted to work up to being very generous givers to a few missions. So we can have relationships with them and keep them going and encourage them and increase their blessings and increase their ministry. That's been our goal all along. And part of our goal and our vision, a dream if you will, is to have a mission that we support on every inhabited continent and to build up that to be a very generous partner for each of those missions. Right now we've got North America covered, we've got, got Europe, and we've got some work to do, but we're working towards it. We don't want to just give nominally, nominally, we want to give generously and just crazily we want to give. And so we're not at a place to stop until Jesus comes back or until we go to be with Him. And that's our goal. And for us, that means that we need to continue to increase our generosity. Because so many people have done that for us. And as churches phase out of their giving to support us, we've got to carry the load. We did a great job this past year, even in the crazy pandemic year, we covered 60% of our ministry expenses from our local offerings. And that's amazing. But there's another 40% we've got to do as churches 
stop giving to us over time and start giving to other churches because we want the kingdom of God to grow. So maybe it's your challenge today to say, I'm going to give to make sure that we can keep doing life-changing ministry. How come, though? Because we keep moving until when? Until the neighborhood knows. Until the neighborhood knows Jesus. Why? Because we can't wait to see the complete fulfillment of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This, this passage is true in part, but we want to see it in its fullness. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 7, beginning verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I don't know about y'all, but I cannot wait to stand around the throne of God with that multitude of people, every nation, tribe, and tongue calling out to our God who saved us. I, I can't wait for it. I I'm ready for it. it it's, at times I wish it was right now, but then my fleshly side just wants to stay here. But I want to be there in the presence of God with no boundaries, no more faith needed because I can see Him with my eyes. Can't wait to stand around the throne of God with, with all of you. But the beauty of it is we already can stand in the presence of God any day and every day. And the even better news is that Anybody who surrenders to Jesus can experience this, and it's our pleasure to steal from our friends at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it's a pleasure to invite them. It says in Revelation chapter 19, a very similar passage. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe with herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I don't know if that gets you excited, but I hope and pray it does. I hope and pray that it gets you fired up because we were not made for this world. We were made to be in the presence of God forever in a world that makes this world just put to shame. And we're looking forward to a day that anybody and everybody who obeys the gospel can be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love that because we talk about it all the time about when you gather for meals, there's just some intimacy that takes place. And there's just barriers that are broken down. And we get to spend a meal with God forever around His table, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And until we get to see that picture... Of Revelation 19. We remind the church to keep moving until our neighborhood knows Jesus by multiplying, making disciples and multiplying churches. And until we get to see that fulfillment of Revelation 19 and share in that marriage supper of the Lamb, guess what? We get to share in the Lord's Supper as often as we do this.
Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And I hope and pray that you don't take for granted the blessing that we have to share in the Lord's Supper. Share in what we call communion. To remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Because anybody who participates in that, when they've given their life to Jesus, it's a reminder, one day soon, one day soon, we'll get to share in the marriage supper of the Lamb because we've been paid for by the blood of Jesus that we remember and the broken body of Jesus that we celebrate. So never take for granted that Jesus shed His blood and allow His body to be broken so you can be made new. You can be clothed in new spiritual garments. If you haven't gotten those emblems already, they're right back on that bar there. And in just a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take part in that. And if you peel back that top layer, you'll see that wafer. And if you peel back the next layer, there's a cup of juice. And that wafer represents the body of Jesus that was broken and shed for you. His blood, excuse me, that was shed for you. That's what that juice represents. And you take this and you're reminded... This isn't just a snack. <laughs> this isn't just, it's not a little shot of grace. It's a celebration of the sacrifice of Jesus for you. That you can be made whole. That you can be made new. And that if you're in Christ, and that's who's supposed to participate in this meal. That you are made new. And that you are clean. And that one day, the physical will match the spiritual that's already taken place. And you'll get to share this meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb, forever and ever and ever. And so in addition to all that, in addition to giving thanks to God, remembering His sacrifice to Jesus on the cross, here's something else I want you to think about as you're taking part in this Lord's Supper. I want you to think about asking God this. Who needs to be here sharing this meal so they can be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Who do you know? Who do you care about that needs to know that Jesus shed his blood and had his body broken for them? And so ultimately, who needs to be buried with Christ at baptism to be washed in the blood of the Lamb? So take a few moments and remember that we've got to keep moving until the neighborhood knows that Jesus is Lord. As you celebrate this meal... Let's pray and let's ask God to keep us strong and faithful until we get to celebrate this marriage over the Lamb all together in the presence of God forever. And if you need to make a decision to give your life to Jesus, I'll be right there in the back of the talk to Spend some time remember what Jesus has done for you. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.